Welcome to the Church of the Redeemers Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will enjoy this week's service, and we hope that you will follow us at www.cotrb.org, and may God continue to bless you. Praise the Lord, saints. Praise the Lord for blessing us with another day, and here it is, Valentine's Day 2021, and it's our Communion Sunday. Praise the Lord. So let's get to the business of the day, the Word of God. The Lord Jesus taught his disciples through his sermon on the mount found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, excuse me. Today, prayerfully, we will be taught from this sermon in the hood, from Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Will you bow in prayer with me? Precious God, we need you right now to do what only you can do, which is to preach this word. Please minister to us and bless each one of us to hear you loud and clear. Have your way, Father. I yield to you by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is Valentine's Day 2021. So our focus today will be on love. And the title for our Sermon in the Hood is Love, Working for My Good. Some of us may have learned about some of the different words for love, you know, in the Greek language, agape, meaning God's unconditional love. Then phileo, that's more of a friendship love. And then there was eros, which is the romantic love that God gives us. And lastly, there's a love called storge in the Greek. And that's for family. That's a familial love. And that is the focus of our message today, the love that exists in families. Our story begins by spotlighting a man named Jacob who had 12 sons. All was well and good until his 11th son was born, and Jacob favored him over his first 10 sons. And yes, I know, I said he had 12 sons. The baby boy wasn't born yet. Genesis 37.3 states that he favored this son because he was born to him in his old age. The sad part about this is that the boy had nothing to do with his birth order. Jacob not only loved this son more than the others, but his love blinded him and caused him to do something that would pit his children against this favored brother. He made him a coat. And the King James calls it a coat of many colors. Some translations will say a tunic, a robe. But nevertheless, this was not something that was bought. This is something that was handmade by Jacob for his son. To add insult to injury, when this favorite son was 17 years old, he began to have dreams that he shared with his brothers and his father. The symbolism of his dreams seemed to imply there would come a day when his entire family 
would bow before him. Well now, we all can imagine how these brothers felt about the father's favorite now. As most of you know by now, this favorite young man was Joseph. Jacob didn't seem to realize Joseph's brother's contempt for him because one day he sent Joseph out to meet them in another town by himself. You would think Jacob would have known better because of the situation with his brother Esau and how their parents' favoritism proved lethal to their relationship. Parents, pay attention to the way your children treat each other. Is there anything seething just below the surface in any of your children? Take another look. When the brothers saw Joseph coming, they seized this as an opportunity to get rid of him. Joseph, this favored son. They weren't even seeing him as their brother, only as their nemesis, the one who had their father's heart. At first, they were actually going to kill Joseph, but one of them suggested they just throw him into the pit that was nearby. And so they did. There was no water in it. Not too long afterwards, they spotted some Ishmaelite traders on their way to Egypt and decided it would be better to sell Joseph to them rather than to have his death on their hands. So they fished Joseph out of the pit and sold him to those traders. Then they put animal's blood on his coat of many colors to show their father that Joseph had come to an untimely end. Oh, the depths and the ramifications of having favorites. When the traders arrived in Egypt, they sold Joseph to a man named Potiphar, a member of the Pharaoh's palace guard. Interestingly enough, favors seemed to accompany Joseph wherever he was. Because Genesis 39 says three times in the New Living, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And all this drama that's happening to him is keep saying, but the Lord was with Joseph. Any of us have had that, had that kind of experience yet? You know, the Lord being with you and yet you are or have been mistreated or bullied or disregarded as even being a human by those who are supposed to love you? Don't dismay, my brother. Don't dismay, my sister. In spite of the drama, the Lord is with you too. Now, how did Joseph respond? No matter what he endured, Joseph maintained his integrity. So much so that Potiphar put him in charge of everything because he saw the Lord was with this young boy and that favor had come upon his own household ever since Joseph arrived. Now, unfortunately, it turns out that Joseph was handsome and well-built. And I say unfortunately because beauty can be a problem, whether it's female or male. And people can't handle beauty. Oh, help us, Lord. But nevertheless, Joseph's beauty, him being a handsome young man and well-built, 
made him a target for Potiphar's wife. And she was at him every chance she got, and he resisted her every time. There was one time, however, that she had become so desperate that when she was talking with him and trying to entice him with her womanly ways, that she grabbed his shirt. And Joseph, being a man of integrity, before his God, he twirled right out of that shirt and ran. Potiphar's wife, obviously not used to rejection, screamed and hollered and lied on Joseph. And he wound up in prison because she used that shirt as her quote-unquote evidence. But guess what? He's in prison, Joseph, for being a man of integrity. Now, surely he's ticked off now, trying to do right and things keep going wrong. Anybody there today? Well, no worries. God is still with you too. As he was with Joseph, who is now in prison, for something he didn't do, for doing the right thing. He heard you, Spike Lee, but look at where he's at prison. But now let's look at what's happening in the prison. Because of God's continued favor on Joseph, which is now being manifested as God's mercy, Joseph even gains favor with the warden in the prison. And the warden then puts Joseph in charge of all the prisoners and all the business of the prison. Wow. This is awesome. Look at God. Look at God. In the midst of where you're struggling, in the midst of the place that you're in that's unfair for you. Look at what God is doing through you, in you. Nevertheless. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Genesis 39, 23 says the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Anybody besides me find themselves in a topsy-turvy set of circumstances? All because you're choosing to do the right thing, choosing not to lie, choosing to maintain your integrity before your God. Well, some of y'all know the story, but everybody doesn't. So let's continue. Two of the Pharaoh's servants had ticked the Pharaoh off, so he locked them up for a few days. And while they were locked up, That was the same time Joseph was in prison. And each one of these servants of the Pharaoh had had a dream that kind of bothered them. And they were talking to Joseph about it. But Joseph said, you know, it's God who can interpret dreams. And so obviously we know that Joseph prayed and God gave him the interpretation of these two servants of the Pharaoh's dreams. Not too long after that, they got released. And when they were getting released, Joseph had let them know. Remember me. Tell the Pharaoh about me when you get back. Tell him. Tell him I'm in here. I'm innocent. Tell him. Now, which one of those servants do you think told the Pharaoh about Joseph? Neither one of them. Now, two years later, hear what I'm saying. Two years later, the Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret. 
And he was getting ticked off because the magicians couldn't interpret all these people supposed to have all this power in his little kingdom. They couldn't interpret the dream. But then all of a sudden that servant, he remembered Joseph and he told the Pharaoh about him. So the Pharaoh summoned for Joseph. And once again, Joseph did not take credit for his ability to interpret dreams. But he told the Pharaoh too. That it is only God who gives the interpretation of dreams. Sometimes we kind of have to go to some of our bosses and talk to them about the Lord. Oh, amen. And what he can do. Oh, amen. So God gave Joseph the interpretation. He told the Pharaoh. The dreams foretold of a coming famine. And God gave Joseph the wisdom for how Egypt should prepare for that soon to come famine. Pay attention, somebody, to the variety of ways God's favor is shown. We can all guess what happened next, even if we didn't already know. The Pharaoh made Joseph the second in command of all of Egypt. He gave him his own palace. He gave him a wife named the Seneth, and they had two sons. Look at God. Look at God. Working it for good. Look at God. Now listen to the names of Joseph and the scene of sons. Listen to the name and the meaning of the name. The first son was named Manasseh. He said, because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. Hmm. The wounds had still been bothering Joseph. But now he's praising him through the birth of his first son. And then his second son, Ephraim. He said, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. If we just look around, we'll see where God is prospering us in the midst of our suffering. Oh, glory to his name. Don't think Joseph wasn't going through anything, even with all that favor on his life. The names of those children prove to us his heartache and his heartbreak. Now, meanwhile, the famine strikes all over the world, just like this pandemic. Because the Pharaoh listened to Joseph, Egypt had plenty and all of the other countries had to come to them to buy corn. Now, guess who else had to come to Egypt to buy corn? You got it right, young one. Joseph's family. When his brothers last saw Joseph, he was 17 and now he's 30 and he's wearing royal Egyptian garb. They didn't recognize him. But he recognized them. And suddenly the dreams of his youth flashed in his mind. Because here they are now. His family bowing before him. Oh, it's time for the big payback now, isn't it? Joseph has, has them right where he might want them, some of us would say. Now he initially accuses them of being spies and perhaps that was his way of testing them to see whether or not he could find out if his younger brother Benjamin had been harmed. Interestingly enough, it should be noted here that Joseph was no longer that boastful teenager who had bragged about his dreams, but now he was a mature adult and as such he chose not to seek vengeance on them. In 4224, Joseph wept as he overheard one brother express regret to the other 
over what they had done to Joseph. And in 4330, he wept when he finally saw his younger brother, Benjamin. Because of Joseph, Jacob and his sons and their families got the best land in Egypt. And guess by whose order? By order of the Pharaoh. See, favor extended to them. Before Jacob died, he pronounced the blessing on each one of his 12 sons. And after going back to Canaan to bury him, Joseph and his brothers returned to Egypt. Now in chapter 50, we now see that his brothers are scared. They're afraid that Joseph is now going to pay him back for what they did to him now that their father is dead. But in chapter 50, starting in verse 19, Joseph assured his brothers that he was going to do no such thing. Listen to his words. As far as I am concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me here to the high position I have today so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. Indeed, I myself will take care of you and your families. Wow. I hear the objections out there. I hear you. How could Joseph's brothers possibly deserve what they were getting? Why should Joseph forgive them for all they had done to him? Why? Why, my brothers and sisters? Because each one of us know that God forgives us for all of our sins too. Think about this, my brothers and sisters. Those who have siblings or had siblings, had parents, have parents or guardians, foster parents, step families, extended family members. God is the one who put us together with all those folks. Ooh, whoa. Yeah, God did that. And he knew everything that would happen to us along the way even at the hand of family. Now, who hurt you in your family when you were growing up or lately or somewhere in between? Have you yet to forgive them? Or have you not yet come to the place to understand that God meant it all for good? You matured, you grew up. In the midst of that suffering, in the midst of being wrong. Some of you cried out to the Lord in your suffering. You drew closer to him. Some of you got saved as a result of the drama. Oh, help us, Lord. God meant it all for good. If you don't believe it, after this, sit down with him and say, God, how has this, this, this what I've endured. How's this working for my good? And I dare you to ask him because he will show you. He will reveal it. Oh, praise his name. Now, speaking of family hurt, what about the hurt some have endured from either your church family or your Christian family? Because they're not necessarily the same. Oh, it's tight, but it's right. Hey, praise Jesus. If we had it in our power to be a blessing, to any of these family members, church family, blood family, biological, spiritual family, if we had it in our power to be a blessing to them, maybe not to the magnitude that Joseph was a blessing to his family, 
or just to be a blessing to those who hurt us, what will we do? Or do we still want our pound of flesh? Oh, I heard you. You, what, you waiting for an apology? <laughs> well, think about this. Have you apologized? Have I apologized to everyone we've ever wronged in any way, no matter how slight? Have we apologized? Are we the one somebody else is waiting on an apology from? Hmm. This morning I've given you a thumbnail sketch of not just a family, but of one particular member of a family. One who was wronged twice and who suffered great hurt and consequences from each experience. But yet God worked it all together for his good. And for his family's good as well. 99% of us have been hurt. Hurt by those who were supposed to love us. Or who actually said they loved us. And 99% of us have done the same. We can play the blame game for the rest of our lives. But it's not going to help us mature in Christ. And it's not going to help us mature as people. Oh, help us, Lord. The only one who has never hurt us is the one who loves us so completely, so purely, and that is God Almighty. Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Why not give him your hurt today? And let him show you how it can be worked together for your good. He placed us in our families, y'all. Every one of them. Biological, spiritual, church, and even in what we can call families made up of friends who became family. On this day dedicated to the celebration of love, let's let some stuff go. Let's mend some fences. Let's choose to stop withholding our love from those God gave us to love. Remember Romans 8, 28. And all, and we know that for those, excuse me, and we know that for those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, God had a purpose in all of our suffering. Praise his name. Praise his name. If we indeed have been born again, we're God's children. And the Holy Spirit will help us to do these things. But if you're in our midst today and you have never asked God to forgive you for all of your sins and come into your life and be your savior, then you have to rely on yourself to heal your broken relationships. Matter of fact, you have to rely on yourself to do everything. And that can wear you down. So why not ask the Lord to, into your life today? He's been waiting for you all your life. He's been waiting for you to become a part of his family. And early this morning, as I was doing my reading my devotional scriptures, um, the reading for today, I thought it was so perfect to make it the invitation to come to the Lord today. And it's focused on John 3.16. For God so loved the world. 
that includes you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And the commentary says, and Lord, please minister through it. It says this statement, this scripture, this statement is shocking. We had literally nothing to offer God, no bargaining chips to twist his arm and no virtue to win his acceptance. But God didn't wait for a better deal. Because he loved us, he took the initiative to give. And his gift brought the cleansing of forgiveness and the promise of being with him forever. That's what it means to be saved, to be with God forever one day. That's not all that it means, but that's the biggest part. Hallelujah. We can measure love by how much the lover gives. And in this one verse, this one verse of scripture, John 3.16, we find that God gave everything. Jesus had spent all eternity in heaven being worshipped and served by a host of angels. But he stepped out of heaven to earth for one purpose, not to live, but to die. And because he died for us, we don't have to experience the excruciating separation from him for eternity. That separation is what the Bible calls hell. Oh, hallelujah. And this being Communion Sunday is the perfect Sunday to remember yet again the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to find out more about how to make Jesus your Savior, please call us at the Church of the Redeemer Baptist, 215-465-1210. And if you didn't get a chance to write down the numbers, the Church of the Redeemer Baptist, we're in South Philadelphia on Dickinson Street. Google us and you'll get the number, but it's 215-465-1210. Praise the Lord. We're going to move right into our communion. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to read for you the scripture from 1 Corinthians 11. Starting at verse 23, it reads thusly. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, mm, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, He's saying this to his disciples, y'all. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I know you have whatever elements you're going to use, so we'll pray over them now. Father, we ask that you bless the elements that we're choosing to use for our communion today. And abide with us as we do indeed focus on our Lord Jesus Christ. And that awesome sacrifice that he made for us on Calvary's cross. Lest we forget Gethsemane. Don't ever let us forget. Oh, hallelujah. Because he took our place.
He paid for our sins because your word says, Father, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. So let us take the bread. And the Lord says, eat this as often as you do it in remembrance of him. Amen. Let us all commune together. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink ye all of it. He said, all of you. That's what he's saying. And drink you all of it. Praise the Lord for a new covenant. Glory. Hallelujah. Let us all commune together. The scripture teaches us that when Jesus and his disciples had finished this supper, that they went out into the Mount of Olives. We don't have a Mount of Olives. But we got a mountain of some other stuff going on in this world today in 2021. But guess what, y'all? Don't, don't believe the hype. I'll say it like that. God is still on the throne. No matter what's going on in the political arena, no matter what's going on with the coronavirus, no matter what's going on with the social unrest and how so many people have become aware that black lives matter. Don't believe the hype. God is in control. Don't be fearful. God is in control. As we go our separate ways, just keep saying to yourself, God is still on the throne and he is still in control. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you in Jesus name. Amen.